millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a podcast by The Local. This week, we're discussing the possibility of a nationwide day of strike action in Germany. We'll talk about rent developments in Germany's biggest cities. If you're not familiar with Schlager music, don't worry, we're going to get into that. And also why Schlager legend Helena Fischer has been in the German news. The German Bundestag, or parliament, is going to get smaller. We'll talk about why that is and what it means. And a new survey has found that Germany is one of the most difficult places for foreigners to get started in. We'll talk about that and hear from an expert who helps immigrants in Germany with admin and bureaucracy. Lastly, we'll share some tips about how to get on with your neighbours in Germany. I'm Rachel Loxon and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Rachel Stern and Aaron Burnett. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, Rach. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm glad that there's sun finally. I think it's, what, 16, 17 degrees outside? Oh, yeah. it's gorgeous. Spring has started. My winter coat is hung up. There there were shorts yesterday on my walk home shorts, from the gym. Shorts, wow. Yeah. Very nice. Guys, I have to tell you something. I actually made it out of Berlin at the weekend. Oh. Yes, I, <laughs> I finally took a trip to Munich. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went nice. to Munich and Innsbruck in, in Austria, but I spent a couple of days in Munich, and I have to say I really loved it. I think the city has a really nice feel. I love that it has more of a communal vibe than Berlin. You know, I think it's the big beer hall tables, and everyone was sitting outside at the market, and I even saw some guys in lederhosen. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> was it nice lederhosen? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was lovely. There was There was a great vibe. And honestly, I think I could live in that city, but to be honest, I don't think I could afford it, as we're going to hear soon. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) Exactly. Do you guys like Munich? Yeah, I've just been there a few times, but it does have this more laid-back village vibe Mm -hmm. within a big city. So I could also see living there myself at some point. And it's right at the foot of the Alps and all of these beautiful uh, places that you can easily travel to on the weekend. Yeah. No, I I really enjoy visiting both Munich and Bavaria. I don't know if I could live there. You know, Berlin is Berlin's my town, <laughs> um, but um, it's it's really 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 lovely. There's uh, the pace of life just seems a bit different. I often visit my German family who lives down there sometimes. It's just really beautiful, and the Alps remind me a little bit of home in Western Canada mm. as well with the mountains. Absolutely, I was really happy just to get on a train an hour and a half, and you're in the Alps, and it. Also reminded me of home of Scotland because Berlin is so flat. I miss mountains. Yeah. Me too. In California, I grew up among hills, so it was nice <laughs> to actually get some steep workouts in there. 
We're all missing the hills. <laughs> we all miss the, the mountains and hills. <laughs> and we're recording this on Wednesday, March the 22nd. So a little public service announcement. This weekend, the clocks go forward. So remember that you will lose an hour's sleep on Saturday night into Sunday. Or have one less hour to party at Bergheim. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's for you, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get into the big talking points this week. And strikes are still high on the agenda in Germany. At the time of recording this podcast, there was talk of a mega strike possibly happening on Monday, March the 27th. Rachel, what is a mega strike and is it going to happen in Germany? So, Rach, the transport union EVG and Verdi are considering a coordinated day of action or a mega strike, as a lot of people are calling it, um, that would basically hit all public transport services and even motorways throughout Germany. And their goal is to basically stop all means of transport for an entire half of a day. And because there's actually a Autobahn GmbH that belongs to unions, if they have it their way, they'll be able to stop traffic on the Autobahns. It's unlikely that they would be able to paralyze all of German roads, but um, we certainly would see some big delays. And so workers or anybody who's aiming to get out and about that day should prepare for pretty hefty uh, traffic jams and also train and public transport cancellations and delays. So at the moment, this is just a possibility that the unions will call their members out on the strike on Monday. Yeah, if the negotiations at the end of this week continue not to yield the results of a higher pay that they would like, then they're going to call for the mega Monday strike and um, paralyze all transport around the country. Okay, and of course, this is a developing story, so we'll include any updates in the show notes. And how would people be affected in this case? Because we have already seen many regional strikes across Germany, right? That's right, Rach. So in the past few weeks, there have been a series of strikes popping up in states and cities all around the country. And this has affected not only public transport, but also its closed kitas, its closed public services, be it swimming pools or public administration. It's caused rubbish bins to overflow because the municipal rubbish or trash services haven't been available. So it's caused a lot of disruption in public life and pretty much every given day of the week for the past several months there's been some city or state that's been organizing one type of strike or another. So if that happens on Monday it would just be kind of a concentrated effort across the country? That's correct Rach. Um, Almost all German states would be affected. Verdi doesn't have so big of a presence in Hamburg or in the northern states like Bremen but it's likely that that those states would be organizing their own strike actions as well. So especially among transport, there would be a huge effect. And it's still up in the air if other public service workers would be going on strike as well. Okay, so we are still seeing a lot of these regional strikes in Germany at the moment. Rachel, what rights do workers have if they can't get to work because they have no transport or childcare? Do they get a paid day off? 
So that's a good question, Rach. According to legal experts, workers don't qualify for a paid day off work because they don't have the transport options. It's advised that they speak with their workplace early in order to find alternatives, be it with car sharing or doing home office, if that's a possibility. Some employers will allow workers to come in a few hours late or make up the day another time, but legally it's not written in law that they can say, okay, my train was canceled and therefore I'm not going to work. However, for those who have small children who can't go to the kita, um, the daycare, or to school, they can in some cases get the day off from work. Basically, if, if a strike is announced less than 24 hours in advance or over the weekend, if it's on a Monday, then employees have a right to receive a paid day off if they've exhausted all other possibilities and there's nobody who can care for their child because in Germany the Aufsichtspflicht or the right to care for your children trumps the Arbeitspflicht or the right to work. So experts recommend that any parent who can't go to work because of a lack of child care collects all evidence, emails from the Kita emails that they've tried to contact somebody else to care for their child, and they actually are able to take the day completely off work if there's no other alternatives. Really good to know. Thank you for that update, Rachel. So let's move on. A report released this month shows how rents are developing in Germany's five most populous cities. That's Berlin, Hamburg, Munich, Cologne and Frankfurt. Aaron, where are rents rising fastest? Right here, Rach, in the capital, where we are recording. Oh, no. Um, Berlin has seen a 27% increase in average rent since, get this, since November of last year. Really? Yeah. At that time, the average rental price per square meter was €9.86. At the end of last month, so February, it was... 12 euros and 55 cents, an insane increase in a short space of time. Berlin also used to be a mid-range city when it came to rent prices in Germany. Now it's one of the most expensive places in the country to rent. Uh, Frankfurt and Munich are still worse, but remember that this is a city here in Berlin that traded on its poor but sexy image That's for right. decades. Yeah, um, And that phrase is now only half true. It's only sexy. It's only sexy. See what I did there, yeah. Uh, if we take a longer view of it, uh, look a little further out, we see a 60% increase in rents in Berlin over the last 10 years. Uh, Hamburg has gone up too, and not nearly to the same extent. Uh, we've seen 18% increase in rent uh, in Hamburg over the last five years. So if you put that next to Berlin, uh, the capital really is in a league of its own. Interesting to see how that develops probably upwards as we go through the year. And where is it most expensive to rent in Germany then? Uh -huh, it's still worse somewhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, Munich. <laughs> Although that's mostly because the rental situation in the Bavarian capital was the worst in the country to start with. Prices there have only gone up around 4% since November, but they're still the highest in Germany. Uh, we're talking €17.39 per square meter, and that is an average. So new builds, for example, are even higher than that. Again, Berlin is now at 
12 euros and 55 cents Mm -hmm. uh, per square meter next to, as we said, Munich's over 17 euros. So Munich prices really are in their own tier of nuts. They really are. If you have an old contract in Munich, stay there forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You will have to be thrown out of there. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's only made possible thanks to members of The Local. So a big thank you to all our members. If you'd like to join us and support our work and journalism, you can head on over to The Local Germany, that's at thelocal.de, and sign up. And please leave a review or a rating wherever you get your podcasts. So we like to highlight German celebrities and culture at the local Germany when we get the chance. And I thought today we would talk about Helena Fischer and Schlager, which is Germany's own brand of pop music. How do you feel about that, guys? Ooh, Helena Fischer. She is an icon. She is a legend. She is the moment. Her concerts are basically a mini pride parade. She's gorgeous. She's entertaining. She's got both a great voice and sense of fashion. She's queen of the German gaze. Uh, she can sing a huge bop or like Herzbeben, for example, or she can sing Christmas music with Andrea Bocelli. She can do it all. Okay, Aaron is happy. I can't say I'm as enthusiastic about <laughs> Schlager music as Aaron is, but I was listening to it on the U-Bahn over here, and I definitely have a Ohrwurm or, you know, a song that gets mm-hmm. stuck in your head because it's quite catchy and feel good, so I can understand your love of Schlager. Yeah, an earworm. <laughs> so we're talking about Helena Fischer because she is the queen of Schlager, as we've just heard, and she's been in the news this week. So she has a big tour coming up, but she's had to postpone the start of it for the moment. Aaron, what's up with Helena? I know, it's very sad. Um, so Helena had an accident, uh, exactly what she has not disclosed, although we have heard some talk and rumor that uh, it may have had something to do with her hip in rehearsal. She only said on Instagram that she was postponing the beginning of her latest tour on Doctor's Advice, which is affecting her initial dates in Bremen and Cologne so far, but it could obviously affect other dates uh, depending on how long this goes on for. She says she wished this would have gone differently, but that she plans to make up for it and that when she's better we'll celebrate like crazy she says. Um, All the best to Helene as she recovers. Absolutely. Um, So Helena Fisher is a legend here but many people are not really aware of her outside of Germany. What else should we know about her? So Helena Fisher was born in Russia originally. Her family is Russian-German actually Volga-Deutsch which are the Germans who settled in Russia historically uh, going back hundreds of years. She is commercially speaking, Germany's most successful singer and one of the highest earning entertainers anywhere in the world. And she's known for being the queen of Schlager. Mm-hmm. And what should people start with if they're going to listen to one or two of her songs? Well, Atemlos is one of the most famous, obviously, but I my I would prefer Herzbeben. And mm, at Christmas... Yeah, and, and <laughs> at Christmas you should put on her Stille Nacht, her Silent Night. Um, really shows off her 
her gorgeous voice. And how can we describe Schlager music? Yeah, so Schlager, it's very upbeat, very positive, with simple and uncontroversial lyrics, since it's mostly talking about love or travel destinations. So it's just general feel-good music. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's very cheesy pop. Cheesy yeah. pop is a good way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good way. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's very poppy. You can have tunes that are real boppers and bangers, um, but also slow ballads with very, you know, sentimental, uncontroversial lyrics, as Rachel said, um, about love. The word itself is German, but you will see a Schlager or at least Schlager style music yeah. uh, well represented at the Festival of Kitschy Pop that is Eurovision with its gimmicks and just feeling of just being extra. We love to see it. Yes. Schlager actually means hits as well. Yeah. yeah. That's so right. You can get a feel for it. Is ABBA Schlager music, guys? I was listening to ABBA on the way here. Dancing Queen? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like esque. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Schla- it's there. got Schlager vibes. You're for, getting the vibe, yeah. For sure. I mean, the one big difference, I would say, is that Schlager is always in German. ABBA sings in English. Mm. And Abba, do they sing about more controversial songs or are they mostly just feel good? I don't think I've heard a controversial Abba song, but I could be wrong. So, yeah. But that's the vibe. It's just very cheesy pop, isn't it? Yeah, not all of their songs would qualify, but you might have, yeah, you might have a couple that would be in the, in the range. Okay, and and Rachel, do we know where did Schlager come from? So the term Schlager actually originated in Austria in the 19th century. And at the time, entertaining pieces began to be sung in German at the Vienna Opera. One example is Die Fliedermaus by Johann Strauss-Zon. And a song was considered a Schlager if it was well-received. And it wasn't until after 1920, actually, when more people were listening to the radio that Schlager started to get more widespread and not surprisingly popular. It was just known as being this folky, upbeat style of music in Germany. Um, But it experienced the peak of its popularity in the 60s and 70s with singers like Rex Gildo and Heino. And at that time, a lot of West Germans were starting to travel for the first time, usually to Southern Europe, places like Italy and Spain. And so a lot of the lyrics had to do with these holiday destinations and possible flings that they had. Um, They were just, yeah, good time vibes. Good time vibes. (laughs) Good time vibes, yeah. And then by the, I would say, the early 2000s, Schlager started to get a bit more modern and have more of a techno feel to it. But stuff you'd like hear on a houseboat party in Spain. In Mallorca, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) Why do you think it's so popular, guys? Because it really is. You've seen you've seen people queuing for the Schlager parties and stuff. It's a really a big thing here. Yeah, there's big like Schlager club nights, especially here in Berlin, but also around uh, Germany. I don't know. It's it's catchy and it's relatable, but it also can reward a good voice when you get into the emotional bits of it. So Helena certainly has um, one of those voices. So it works that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people just like to dance and would prefer doing it to a good poppy song rather than techno, which has been the dominating force in the music scene in Berlin. Absolutely. So Schlager is, of course, just one kind of music genre popular, as as you mentioned, Rachel. German hip-hop, extremely popular. Of yes. course, techno, 
Anything else? Yeah, so you have heavy metal. Almost everybody has heard the name Rammstein. Mm-hmm. In the past two decades, there's been a pretty big German reggae scene. Yeah, I know Rammstein is a big one. And any of those you know, heavy metal or, or hard rock bands that actually kind of came from American influence. The American Forces Radio Network was well listened to in Germany after um, World War II. And uh, that influence seeped in to help develop rock here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the beat had a pretty big presence in Hamburg. They even lived there for a while. Yeah, well, David Bowie, Iggy Pop have also famously lived in Berlin as well. Yeah, and by the way, some trivia, the Beatles sang some songs in German, and also Bowie, he has Helden, the hero's hero song in German. There you go, guys. Oh, and there's Kraftwerk as oh, well. Of course. Yeah, we, we would be remiss not to mention Kraftwerk. One of my friends here is one of the biggest Kraftwerk listeners on Spotify in the world, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but Depeche Mode actually even sampled a little bit of Kraftwerk for some of their, their hit songs. We'll have to do a whole episode about German music at some point. Yeah, I'm in. Great. Thank you so much for that, guys. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Schlager, we roll seamlessly onto politics. Today, we're talking about why the German Bundestag, which is one of the largest parliaments in the world, is actually going to shrink and what this means. So the coalition government made up of the Social Democrats, the Greens and the Free Democrats put forward a plan to bring the number of seats down. And this was voted through in the Bundestag last week. Aaron, can you tell us what is going on here? Well, don't feel bad (laughs) if you have a hard time understanding what's going on here because I'm obviously resident local Germany politics nerd and even I am trying to figure this out if I'm honest. Um, So the Bundestag has a minimum of 598 seats in theory. In practice we often get a huge parliament of over 700 seats just down to the peculiarity of how we vote in Germany. You get two votes. Your first is a simple candidate vote. That, That person represents a party and it works just like voting in the UK or Canada. For example example, someone wins and they're guaranteed a seat in the Bundestag, even if they're a long way down on their party's list, which, by the way, is your second vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, You vote for a party and that party is supposed to get a number of seats that corresponds to its share of the popular vote. Sounds fair? Sure. But what happens if you've won more seats outright than your share of the popular vote entitles you to? Uh, It happens. Germans do split their votes across parties. Well, 
the Bundestag just gets made larger to compensate, which is why it's so large uh, at the moment. What the current government is doing is getting rid of this. Winning the first vote will no longer guarantee you a seat. The party vote will become a lot more important than it already is. Mm-hmm. So who benefits from this? I mean, why are they doing this? Well, the current government says taxpayers are the big people who benefit. They reckon this reform will save about 340 million euros every election cycle. Remember, too, that all German MPs are also entitled to a salaried staff of between two and four people. And we have around 140 MPs more than the original intended size of the Bundestag. Have those people add their staffs. Cost adds up. Mm-hmm. And is everyone happy about this? Nope. <laughs> the parties who suffer the most are smaller parties with very geographically concentrated bases of support. The Christian Social Union, uh, and that is the Bavarian sister party to the Christian Democrats, they only run in Bavaria. And although they pick up a lot of seats there directly, they may struggle to hit the 5% nationwide threshold that you need to get any seats in the Bundestag. Mm-hmm. That requirement currently gets waived if you win at least three seats directly, but this reform is going to get rid of that. The far-left Die Linke party is also up in arms. Polls indicate they may struggle next election to get 5%, so they count on having at least three seats um, in eastern Berlin, for example, that they can just win directly outright. This reform would put their standing in jeopardy, for sure. Mm, potentially big upsets. And what does it mean for voters, then? It's It's complicated. (laughs) In short, uh, you'll have another vote to register your second choice to win your constituency, which helps determine who wins the direct contests. But ultimately, your party vote, already the really important one when you vote in a German election, will become even more important because that's the one that really is guaranteed to influence the final result. Okay. Aaron, very well done for summing that up for us. Thanks. Now, many of our listeners will have packed up their lives, got on a plane or a train and moved to Germany. But a new survey has said that Germany is one of the hardest countries to start a new life in. Internations surveyed around 12,000 foreign citizens in 52 countries and asked them to rate where they lived on various aspects of life, such as administration, housing, digital infrastructure and language. And Germany came bottom in that ranking. Why is that, Rachel? Yeah, that's a good question, Rach. So obviously, Germany has a reputation of having a lot of bureaucracy associated with it. And the survey findings seem to confirm this. Newcomers to Germany said that it's not only difficult to find housing, even if it's temporary housing, but it's also expensive when they do. As Aaron was just talking about, the prices are going up in major cities and really all around the country. And the respondents also said that when they do land a place in Germany and they're trying to get settled in, it's difficult to get by without speaking the local language. So a full 46% of the respondents in Germany said that it's difficult to get by in day-to-day life without German compared to 32% of respondents globally. And a full 55% rated the language as hard to 
to learn. But they also said that Germany is a difficult country to get settled in because it lacks digital infrastructure. That means that there's a lack of cashless payment options. Germany landed absolute last on the list when it comes to this. And it also landed second to last as far as a fast internet connection goes. And so the lack of digitalization, they said, um, presented a problem when dealing with the authorities and trying to get set up. And so 52% of expats said that it's difficult to deal with the local authorities compared to 39% globally. And they said that the poor digital infrastructure also impacts the availability of governmental online services, uh, meaning there's no possibility to register online for a new apartment in most of the country or just to check off the necessities. And so people who took this survey who were living in Germany had comments like, I really hate German bureaucracy. I hate the fact that nothing is digitalized. It takes forever to get in touch with any local government offices, to discuss residence permits, and... Hard to relate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. It's fault. Exactly. So, so to sum it up in a nutshell, Rach, um, it's basically very difficult to get organized because of the lack of digital infrastructure, um, the difficulties in learning and communicating in the language, and the lack of housing possibilities. And how did Germany compare to other countries? Yeah, that's a good question, Rach. So it actually scored way worse than its neighboring Austria and its neighboring Switzerland. And Switzerland ranks in the top 10 countries worldwide in both digital infrastructure and administrative topics. Um, respondents there said that it's very easy to take care of all basic services online. And Austria um, still ranked in the middle of the list for these categories, but it ranked towards the top of the list when it comes to finding housing, um, even as a foreign resident, and finding something that's affordable. Okay, thanks for that. And, and one of Germany's big challenges at the moment is the lack of skilled workers and the dwindling number of people paying into the pension and care system as the older generation retires. What do you make of this study with regard to this issue, Aaron? It's certainly not the first study to find that Germany isn't very user-friendly, right? No, it sure isn't. There is an OECD study out recently saying that Germany keeps slipping in its ranking for attractiveness to skilled foreign professionals. It used to be 12th out of 38. Uh, it has slipped to 15th, so barely in the top half. The countries that do dominate that ranking tend to be English-speaking ones, like New Zealand and Australia, or countries where a high level of English proficiency exists among the local population or local authorities. Sweden is a particular example. Language uh, barriers, as uh, Rachel just said, consistently come up in these studies. Mm -hmm. And Labour Minister Hubertus Heil is visiting Canada this week, looking at how lack of skilled immigration has been dealt with there. Is that right, Aaron? 
Yes, uh, and he is there in the country of my birth, <laughs> along with Interior Minister Nancy Faser. Uh, both of them are some of the busiest people in Cabinet at the moment. They are working on several draft laws to make getting skilled workers easier, including the planned Chansenkata, or Opportunity Card, which would give people points for connection to Germany, skills, language ability, and those who have enough points can come to Germany to look for work even if they don't have a job option. Offer. That opportunity card takes inspiration from the Canadian points system, so they're in Canada to find out more. Can Germany learn something from Canada, do you think? I do, but not in the way you might think. Uh, improving Germany's attractiveness is about a lot more than the point system the government is working on, although I'm sure that will help. Germany has many advantages over a lot of Canada. I love the country of my birth and I'm a proud Canadian, but Canada is an expensive country with an even worse housing crisis in many places, much worse public transport, and longer and longer waiting times for everything from public services to family doctors to being able to be seen at the emergency room, just to name a few things that, in my honest opinion, Germany performs much better on. What Canada does have, other than the widely spoken English language, is a very welcoming attitude to newcomers. Uh, it is a country of immigration after all. My own grandparents went there from Germany, and most people have an immigration story in their family somewhere. That also helps with the general friendliness and accessibility of public authorities in Canada, and German bureaucracy remains stubbornly rigid, rude, backlogged, unwilling to change, digitize, or use English, and at times is outright discriminatory. And a point system will fix precisely none of these things. Interesting. Let's hear now from Kathleen Parker, who is the managing director of Red Tape Translation. This is a service that helps foreign residents in Germany with admin and bureaucracy. I started off by asking Kathleen if it really is that hard for foreigners to come and start a new life in Germany. Yes, it is. It's actually really hard. Um, I started helping people with German bureaucracy about 10 years ago. And in my opinion, it's actually gotten harder, not easier as the years have gone by. Mainly because when I first started doing this, apartments were still available. You could still walk into public offices and get things done without having an appointment months in advance. Costs were lower. And I also don't think that digitalization has progressed very much in the 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what are some of the difficulties that your clients have faced any any kind of stories or, or things that you keep seeing? Well, the biggest thing is obviously finding accommodation. It is the number one challenge for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a single high earner or a freelancer or a family. It's just hard. There's an Indian couple I know to give you an example, and they have been searching for long-term accommodation in Berlin for almost a year, which means they are forced to move continuously from one temporary furnished apartment to the next. And I, I actually, I was at the foreigner's office today and I heard from a client, a freelancer from the Republic of Korea, and she had to go back to the immigration office eight times before her freelance permit was finalized. Uh, oh yeah, one other story is that an American student I talked to last week who wanted to, has been reaching out to the foreigner's office for months to get her student permit renewed, she'll actually have completed her entire course of study before the foreigner's office is able to offer her an appointment to renew her expired permit. 
And these are all recent things that are happening. Why do you think it's got so bad? What do you think's going on? I think that the events of late, obviously we cite the pandemic and the war on Ukraine, are issues that have severely influenced all these public offices and all their processes. There are just more people and fewer staff. That's the biggest crisis that is happening all over Germany. And also just uh, apart from the political situation that is um, moving more people towards Germany, it's also that more people genuinely want to come to Germany as well. So there are more people and fewer staff. I think it's hard to attract people to these jobs, being a caseworker or processing these kind of applications. I don't think that they're very well remunerated, although that's Mm -hmm. just speculating. (laughs) I think it is hard to attract people to the profession. And I think there's a big staff turnover and I just don't think there are enough people to handle the workload. And it's been like that for years. And Kathleen, in your opinion, is it all bad? It, does Germany do anything well for newly arrived residents from abroad? Um, no, it's not all bad. <laughs> there are moments of beauty. I do think the treatment really depends on the individual case worker that you get and how overloaded they are with work themselves. But I have two inspiring stories for you that happened to me today and yesterday. So within 24 hours that made me feel good. (laughs) And that was, uh, I was at the immigration office yesterday and a caseworker went out of their way to make sure that an applicant was addressed with their preferred pronouns, despite what appeared on their passport. And that meant this caseworker had to go in and change all the correspondence from dear mister to dear miss Mm -hmm. and really went out of their way to do that. And I was really touched. And so was the client I was with. And then today, same office, uh, there was a caseworker in training who showed compassion to a client that I took and you know without giving any details the case could have gone both ways the client could have left and been told that it was not possible to help them and it went a different way the caseworker showed her a lot of compassion and the person that was training her did as well and it ended up with a really good outcome and I felt like they really made an effort to help my client so I've just had two inspiring good experiences in in Berlin within the last 24 hours that's really good to hear that's lovely. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, really nice. So we've been talking about today, Kathleen, how the German government wants more skilled workers to come and live and work in Germany in the coming years. What could Germany improve to make it easier for people to do this and to make them stay? Well, the processing times are not reasonable right now. I, I'm not sure how much that there is to do except to simply have more people work at the offices. But at the moment, workers are waiting for months before they can actually start working, and that is driving talent away. Um, The volumes are high, the staff is low, and I think they need to process these kind of applications quicker, more digitally, shed some layers of red tape. And then there's one other thing that bugs me, and I think that Germany can do better, and that is the recognition of foreign qualifications. It is getting easier and it's getting quicker to get your foreign qualifications recognised so that you can be seen as a skilled worker in Germany, but there's still a long way to go there. And Germany's not also not great at recognising skills if they're not on a piece of paper with a stamp on it. I know other countries have innovative approaches like credit systems where you can get forms of education or experience recognized and have it count towards an accreditation. And and it's just so complex in Germany that that's not really possible. And I think that's a shame. Great. Kathleen, thank you so much. That was really interesting. My pleasure. So we're going to finish off today by talking about 
how to have a good relationship with your neighbours in Germany. What should you do and what shouldn't you do? Now, I had this idea partly because I saw a story about a man in Bad Tulz, Bavaria, who successfully sued his neighbour for having too many barbecues on his balcony. Yeah, so we'd probably say don't grill too much if you want to have a nice relationship with your neighbour. But what else? What was he cooking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't I know. Maybe about. he wasn't shading it. Maybe that was... Yeah, if my neighbor shared with me, I'd be like, barbecue all you want. There you go. What are your tips, Rachel? Yeah, so Germans love communication, um, especially when it's in advance. So I would say that if you're having a party or even any sort of louder get-together, if you let your neighbors know a good week in advance by posting a note in Berlin, it would be good if it's in both English and German. And letting them know that you're planning on having this event from so-and-so time to so-and-so time and be very specific about it. And if you're clear and let them know in advance, then there shouldn't be any last-minute surprises. And if you do do something to inadvertently piss off your German neighbor, um, usually stopping by with a beer or chocolate or something to try to make amends and communicate with them again is a good way to go. So you can't get wrong by communication either through a sign or good old face-to-face talk. Yeah, the note's a big one that I've noticed. Yeah, agree. You do see a lot of notes Uh in in German stairwells. Yes. Yeah, pay attention to your notes. (laughs) Yeah, make sure you read them. I mean, I live in a condo complex and I have some lovely neighbors uh, and a few others who are not so lovely. Basically, I curry favor with the nice ones by lending out my parking spot to their visiting relatives and showing up to community meetings to help them vote through things that they need. Uh, One of them even left me Christmas chocolates for lending out my parking spot to his mother who drove up for uh, the holidays. Uh, in December, yeah, Um, which was lovely. For the not-so-nice neighbors, um, I have legal insurance in case they ever try to sue me. And this is, this, yeah, (laughs) it's good advice. You can get legal insurance in Germany. I highly recommend it. Um, Germans love insurance. They have it for almost every aspect of life. So true. Yeah, and including if, you know, your neighbors try to sue you, which happens. (laughs) So um, I did have one neighbor leave a Post-it note on my door once saying that I should leave the country for playing my techno music, perhaps I will admit a little too loudly on a Sunday afternoon, but it did strike me as a rather extreme reaction. So I responded that I owned my own place and they were the last people in the world who were going to intimidate me into going anywhere. So Ooh, nice comeback. Yeah, there's some relationships with some neighbors that just can't be helped. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should have played uh, Schlager instead. Yeah, I should have I should have had Helena instead. Yeah, I definitely think noise is a very good one. I feel like Germans in living situations, Germans are very sensitive to noise. Be considerate. Of course, that's common sense as well. And I also think taking your time with your neighbours, don't expect them to be really friendly with you straight away. Sometimes if you say hi and they're not so into it, they just need some time to warm up. So don't think they're being really rude. That's very true, Rach. And just to add... On Sundays, Germans love their Ruhe or their quietness. Um, It was even a law in Frankfurt for a while that on a Sunday afternoon, you weren't allowed to play music loudly or make noise. Now there's no such law, but it's an unofficial rule that you don't take out your trash or mow your lawn or grill loudly on a Sunday. Yeah, don't be loud. What were you doing, Aaron? You're half German as well. I don't know. I didn't think it was that loud, I suppose. (laughs) 
This brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to all our listeners. And as always, we'll add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about today. Thank you to this week's panellists, Rachel Stern and Aaron Burnett, and to our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.